Hello, and thanks for joining in. Our topic today will be growth and development of livestock species as it relates to livestock valuation. My name is Kyle Kolp, and I'm the livestock judging team coach at Ohio State University. Our objectives will be to understand the growth and development process of livestock and how to incorporate that knowledge into visual appraisal. Finally, we're going to examine a pictorial history of growth and development breeding attempts as it relates to cattle and try and learn just a little bit about what those breeders were trying to do. So as we examine the growth and development process, please keep in mind we're primarily concerned with the three types of tissue that compose a carcass, bone, muscle, and fat. Each of those grows slightly differently after an animal is born. However, prenatally, each one of those will undergo both hypertrophy, which is an increase in cell size, as well as hyperplasia, which is an increase in cell number. However, after animals are born, bone and muscle tissue only increase in cell size. So animals are actually born with the maximum number of cells they're ever going to have to grow bone and muscle tissue. Now fat tissue, on the other hand, can actually increase in cell number. So as their cells get too big, they'll actually replicate themselves. It's important to know these things because of this point of inhibition. And basically that's when uh, there's a period on the growth curve when muscle development begins to wane or slow down and fat development increases exponentially. Now, livestock producers and livestock evaluators need to know about this because then it's no longer profitable to keep the animal on feed because all we're putting onto that animal then is adipose tissue rather than anything that's going to actually increase carcass merit. So if we know that cells grow a little bit differently, it does stand to reason that livestock species would grow slightly differently as well, and that's certainly the case. Take a look at the steer here on the left. You can see that his legs are a lot longer than the rest of his body from a proportion standpoint. So we know that as this animal grows, the rest of his body is actually going to catch up to his legs, and you know everything's going to continue to get bigger, but his body's going to do more catching up than what his legs are going to do. Whereas the little spotted hog there on the right, that one's got a really big head relative to its body, so we know that the rest of its body is first going to catch up to its head, and then everything's going to kind of grow uh, at the same time. One thing that is common across species, though, is the way that, that bone, muscle, and fat develops, and that is bone is going to increase first, and then it's going to plateau, and then we're going to have muscle, and then we're going to have fat tissue. We're going to see that on a diagram here in just a moment. Now, although bone is going to plateau, we know it's going to continue to develop slightly throughout its lifetime. Whereas muscle, it's going to be kind of the same thing, kind of this period of rapid growth, and then it's going to plateau. It's going to keep developing, but very slowly. And as that happens, fat tissue, then they take over, and that's whenever we can really experience a hyperplasia. And when fat takes over, that's when we really start to decrease carcass value. Now see, right before that intersection on the diagram, that's when judges might call an animal fresh. So that's right at the kind of peak of muscle development, right before fat really sets in. We can use the height, length, and width of an animal's skeleton to predict how long they're going to be devoting a large majority of their nutrients towards bone tissue development, with secondary indicators being the length of cannon, which is the distance from the knee to the pastern, and from the hock to the pastern, the length of the head or face, and then also length of ears. Although length of ears is highly associated within specific, uh, two specific breeds. For instance, Brahmins have very long ears, and so we must only compare those within the, the breeds specifically.
In general, small-framed animals, like a bulldog, tend to be pretty wide. Large-framed ones, like a Holstein cow, are, are often pretty narrow. Then moderate-framed animals uh, tend to be in between. From a development standpoint, uh, small-framed animals tend to put on fat a little bit quicker than large ones. And again, moderate-framed ones are intermediate to both of those. Now, as we analyze muscle, let's keep in mind that it's pretty highly correlated with skeletal width. So, small, wide-based animals tend to have more total muscle dimension than what a tall, narrow animal does. Even if pounds of product is pretty similar, whenever we look at loin eye or ribeye cutouts, the wide ones tend to have more muscle. Now, muscle is one of those things that's kind of a double-edged sword. We certainly need it and we want it for our market animals because that is what the product is. However, even though some people may criticize Angus cattle for maybe needing more muscle, as we increase muscle, we actually increase the amount of nutrients that are needed for maintenance. So if we made Angus cattle, particularly the females, really heavy muscled, well then they might fail to be as useful as a maternal breed. And this is partly where the Simital breed has come into uh, some scrutiny because they milk very good, but they also have a lot of muscle. And both those things actually work against each other and mean that Simital cattle have a much higher uh, maintenance requirement than what Angus cattle would. Now again, as muscle hypertrophy maximizes, adipose tissue hyperplasia sets in and increases exponentially. Now as I've mentioned several times before, adipose tissue is the last of the carcass tissues to experience a time of rapid growth. Now subcutaneous fat is really the only fat we can see and estimate live. We're going to use it as a predictor of maximized marbling in beef cattle. Uh, and it's going to be used as a way to predict uh, carcass yields in all three of the species that we're concerned with, excuse me, all four of the species, including goats. And we're going to term it finish in market animals because we finish them to an end point. We're going to call it condition in breeding stock. And subcutaneous fat is a part of the yield grade equation for both beef and lamb carcasses and a part of the percent muscle equation in pork carcasses. This is true, and I owe it all to you. Oh. As we evaluate this steer, we can see that he would be very late in his developmental maturity. He's big-framed, he's long-bodied, he's got some length through his face, cannon, and neck, and so we can probably estimate that it would take a, a long time for this uh, bull here to, to start laying on some excess finish or to experience that hyperplasia of adipose tissue simply because it would have taken so long for his bone and skeletal tissues to, to maximize their growth and begin to plateau. As we take a look at muscle and finish, we can see where an animal that has some genuine muscle shape will remain leaner to heavier weights than one that doesn't. The belted hog there on the left, you can see that one has somewhat of an hourglass figure as we study this hog from the top. Pretty wide there at the top of the shoulder blades from there, dents back in just a little bit before opening back up with some genuine muscle shape along its loin, then coming back to its ham and opening back up. The white hog on the right, however, is shaped pretty much like a boat. The widest part about him is right in the center. Looking at those two hogs is kind of like comparing Arnold to Homer here. Arnold's got a little bit of shape, actually a lot of shape, whereas Homer basically has none. And you can see the Homer starting to get a big old belly and the widest part about him, again, is right in the center of his body. We can see two hogs here in this slide that 
are definitely at different stages of their growth and development pattern. The bluebird on the left is nearing the end of its life in terms of, of growth and development. It's kind of a moderately sized hog that's got some skeletal width and you can see he squares up with some muscle shape down his top, out of his hip and into his hand while staying pretty lean. Whereas the spotted hog on the right is in the early stages of life and it's kind of tall structured and, and narrow made. So it hasn't uh, quite yet maximized its skeletal maturity but it's nearing the end. You can see that one's not going to lay on a lot of muscle. Eventually it's going to deposit quite a bit of fat tissue. Arnold and Shaggy are kind of the examples we're, we're showing here of those two hogs. Again, got some natural width through through uh, his shoulder blades there as we study. So we take a look there at Arnold and then Shaggy, just kind of a tall, narrow structure one. It's probably never going to have a lot of muscle. This following slide is a good illustration of how animals fatten, basically from top to bottom and from front to back. So you can see that's the arrows and that's how they're laid out. We want to study them back through their flank and around their tail to see if they're starting to get fat and also up there through their chest. Like this steer here, we can see it doesn't have much fill back through his flank. It's pretty devoid of, of fat there and then up through his chest is could use quite a bit more finish. And this is one that uh, is very lean, needs to have more more true finish on him from a grading standpoint. Now here we got a market lamb that has some indentation behind his shoulder, then some rib shape and you know, kind of has that hourglass shape and it's just about right. Same thing with the blue spot, uh, speckle butted gilt there. She's kind of deep, but still not very wasty. Good in terms of muscle and finish. Our last section is going to be looking at some, some pictures, uh, some attempts to breed for growth and development. All the cattle pictures were taken from a database uh, from Dr. Harlan Ritchie, his professor Emeritus at Michigan State, considered by many one of the, the great cattle judges and the great cattle minds of all time. Our first picture is uh, of Robert Bakewell, considered the father of animal breeding. He's the first person that really understood line breeding and that like begets like. The ram here on the left was a champion Hampshire ram in 1950, raised by Dr. Stanley Poe of Poe Hampshire's. And in 2006, there's a ram used by Bob Kim Suffolk and his Suffolk uh, purebred flock. We can see that by trying to increase skeletal size, we were really able to make a lot of big strides in the sheep industry. This ewe lamb here was shown in 2010 at Louisville, and she was a class winner, actually raised uh, by Stanley Poe II, uh, who's continued the, the Poe Hampshire tradition. We can see she's got the skeletal size of that Suffolk ram, but they kept some dimension in these sheep, and I think that's really where we're headed. 1919 international champion, he's pictured here as a two-year-old. He only weighed about a thousand pounds as a yearling, but he's built a, very similarly to the ones that we're selecting today. Lone Star there was just a little short guy. Now, keep in mind we were finishing them on grass. So we wanted them to finish quickly and to fatten very quickly. Conoco was the first crossbred used to win the international. He was selected by Dr. Don Good, who's an alumnus of this department. He was the second eye individual at uh, the international whenever he was on the judging team here. He and all of his brothers are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, in 1985, in, in the steer in the previous slide, you can see we got them a lot bigger. They weren't finishing quite as well. And in 2008, we've ended up again with a steer that uh, looks a lot like where we started in 1919 with Idlemare, only weighs about 300 more pounds. So basically, what we were trying to do was, was utilize the resources we had available, like with Lone Star, uh, trying to get them to fatten. But ultimately, whenever we had the resources, we've just been trying to improve carcass merit, trying to improve total carcass yield by getting them bigger.